Sure. Okay. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Kurt Buchanan. I'm on staff here at the church and have the privilege of uh, sharing from the Word uh, today. Uh, we're in a series going through the book of Romans, and uh, we kind of started with our first block, and that was called um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Oh, and by the way, if you're looking for kind of summer reading or a reading plan, uh, join us in reading through Romans this year. Uh, I know lots of people use uh, the YouVersion Bible app, uh, or if those of you who are still using analog paper copies at home, uh, you're welcome to read along with Romans. We'd encourage you to do that. So our first block was about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that Paul is eager to partner with the church in Rome to launch, you know, spreading the gospel from there to other areas. And that's good news. Um, that's a good thing. But in order to understand the good news fully, we have to also understand the bad news. And so the bad is this, that humanity has rejected God despite his revelation, and because of us rejecting him, we end up in an ungodly state, we are wicked, enslaved to sin, and we are depraved. Now last week, Steve took us through um, the ugly. Not only have we become um, wicked and evil people, but even God's chosen people are no better, and sometimes even worse. Despite having the law, the Jews were still unable to live up to it. So both Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. And uh, we, we see this in our scripture for today. We have already made the, ca- the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike, all under the power of sin. Again, there's these two different groups in the Roman church. There's the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, and they are trying to work through um, their faith in relationship to those aspects. And so Paul is trying to put everyone on the same page. And so he's done that, putting them all on the same page in terms of them being under the power of sin. Now, this whole movement in Romans is Paul's way of summarizing the story of the Bible. There's a God who made us, who wants a relationship with us, but we want to be our own gods. And religious people want a God they can control. We've been foreshadowing throughout these weeks about the good news. You know, throughout the series, it's been bad and it's been ugly, but we've been reminding you that there is good news. And this is a day when we get to get into it a little bit more. This week, we move into the good news, and we're going to look at that for a number of weeks. But in case it hasn't sunk in yet, at the beginning of this chapter, in in, uh, chapter 3, this is starting in verse 10, Paul takes his readers through some of the Old Testament scriptures to show that really no one is righteous. Again, this is verse 10 of chapter 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is coming, these are references coming from the Psalms and the Ecclesiastes. Uh, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. You know, another chapter in, the, in Psalms, chapter 5. In your Bibles, there's cross-references as you're going through this section that you could go back and read through these sections in Psalms or Ecclesiastes or in other parts of the Bible in Isaiah where we could go through these. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, many people, I think, in our world, in our culture, 
believe that at their core, that people are good. Humanity is good. And this is a narrative that's played out in lots of TV shows and movies highlighting this thing. You know, something like some powerful alien race comes along to obliterate humanity because, you know, we're evil and all of that. They see the destruction that humanity has caused, but somehow they're able to show that we're also good and that given enough time, we'll figure it out. It makes for kind of exciting entertainment, but there's a significant piece missing from this narrative, I believe. See, the biblical worldview is not that everyone is basically good. It's that no one is righteous. See, you might be thinking, well, didn't Jesus you know, come and teach people how to live more moral lives? Yes, he taught about righteous living, but he knew the problem was much deeper. These are fascinating verses at the end of John chapter 2, starting in verse 23 and 24. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So it seems like things are going well. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay. Hopefully you're convinced. Let's talk about what righteousness is, and this will drive the point home, I believe. What is righteousness? Well, according to the Bible, there is a right and a wrong. And a righteous person is one who thinks and feels and acts, doing what is right in all circumstances, at all times, according to God's standard. The righteous person is accepted before God, And the unrighteous person is not accepted. See, righteousness is your moral performance record. It's your spiritual resume or CV. Again, a resume you're familiar with. You present your qualifications, what you have done, and why you should be accepted for employment. That's a a resume. It's a vocational record. Uh, Your grades in school They are your academic record. And religions often are a spiritual record of good deeds. And righteousness is this performance record record when it comes to rightness. And our acceptance with God is based on our righteousness, our spiritual record. Now even if we lower the bar from God's standard to the standard that we create for ourselves and other people, even if we were judged by our own standards of what is right and wrong, we would all fall short. There was a a preacher who once said, hey, if we just had tape recorders hanging around our necks that recorded everything that we said that people should or shouldn't do, and then in the end, we were judged by that recording and not necessarily by God's standard, none of us again would make it. We would all fall short. Now, after coming to terms with our sinful state, many people respond by propping up their own self-righteousness. And deep down, we know that we are less than we should be. And we start to scramble. Religious types actually love the idea of a performance record, believing that it gives them points with God. If I go to church, if I volunteer, if I read my Bible every day, if I only listen to worship music, then God will see how righteous I can be. And then he will 
also owe me. And if I get myself into a sticky situation, I can cash in some of my points, and God will have to come through for me. Actually, most cultures and religions function this way. I think it's actually pretty fundamental to the human experience. We try to find acceptance based on our works, our achievements. You know, if I get that job, if I get that house, if I can travel to these destinations, if I can be recognized in my field, or if I'm able to date or marry that person. See, most of us try to present the best of our performance record. Some might say, I'm a good father. I'm a good artist. I'm a good athlete. We try to justify our own existence. Again, justify and righteous are actually the same word, but we use them differently in English. It's actually the same Greek word used here. How many of you, this is again going back quite a ways, have seen the film Chariots of Fire? Anybody? Many of you will have the theme song running through your head for the rest of the day, right, in slow motion. Um, for those of you who don't know, again, it's this story about this um, runner who went to the Olympics. He was a competitor. He was also a believer, and there was kind of this whole story about how he wouldn't run on Sundays because he believed that that was a way for him to honor God. Eric Liddell was his name. But throughout the film, uh, there's this antagonist, this other, again, historical figure, and he's the rival runner. And in the movie, I'm not sure if this guy ever said something like this or not in an interview, but he was being interviewed, and he, he was speaking about being at the starting line, and he said this, in the, in the movie at least, I will raise my eyes, I will look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence, but will I? That was Harold Abrahams. He was competing on the world's stage at the Olympics, yet he was trying to justify himself. See, we try to validate our existence, to justify ourselves, to be righteous. And it's no wonder why people are so sensitive to being judged. Because we all know that we, if, we, if we are judged in any category, we will fall short. Again, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother, I fall short. We try to justify ourselves. We try to attain our own righteousness. You can actually find very similar quotes to this one from Madonna or other famous filmmakers, authors. The fear that we won't measure up. This is verse 19 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Okay, where's the good news? This is supposed to be Good News Sunday. We're getting there. I heard one preacher say that one of the most pivotal moments in the whole Bible is between Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and Romans chapter 3, verse 21. So far, everyone is shown to be unrighteous, and the law only magnifies that reality to us. So far, every culture and religion is built on works of righteousness, our performance record. But along comes verse 21, and introduces something entirely unique, something so powerful that it changes everything. 
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. God's perfect record of righteousness is made available to us. The performance record of Jesus is offered to us. Now this is something, again, uh, continuing in verse 21, to which the law and the prophets testify. The law and the prophets play their part, but they could never make us righteous. They point us to Jesus. They reveal sin, but they point us to Jesus. We see all throughout the scripture the idea of the substitutionary atonement. The sins of the people on the sacrificial lamb. Instead of the people paying for the sins, the sacrificial lamb does. Instead of the lamb having life, the people do. And how does this come to us? It comes to us through faith. This righteousness, this perfect performance record is a gift. And this gift is received through faith. This is verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in or through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all the same under the law of sin and death, and yet we can all receive this gift. The good news is for everyone. There is nothing else that is so inclusive. Verse 24 And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, people struggle with the idea of free grace. Have you been on the internet lately? Have you noticed that? There's not a lot of free grace, only burdens. People struggle with the idea of free grace. See, most people will try to add to their faith their own self-righteousness. But do you remember a few years ago we did a series on Galatians called Jesus Plus Nothing? And in it we said this, believe in Jesus Christ. You are saved. Live a life that honors him. That's the gospel. But if it is instead, believe in Jesus Christ and live a life that honors him, then you will be saved. It is no gospel at all. If those things are flipped, it becomes no gospel at all. It is free grace. We are justified freely by his grace. Now, Some people will respond this way. If I believe that salvation is absolutely free by grace, I have no incentive to live a good life or to avoid sin. But... When you lose all fear of punishment, you also lose all incentive to live a good life, then the only incentive that you've had to live a good life was fear. See, some of you, instead of repenting when you sin, try to earn your way back to God by wallowing in your sin a little while first. You embrace shame and condemnation as if that would impress God or pay for your sins somehow. But the scripture teaches us that we are supposed to boldly come into his presence because we are not coming into his presence based on our performance record, but rather we come in because of 
his grace. We receive his gift through faith in Jesus. And when you live a good life so that God will reward you, you are living for yourself. You are not living for him. And that is self-righteousness. Christianity is the only religion where you repent of your sins, but also repent of your self-righteousness. Only when we see that our good deeds are worthless in helping us gain salvation and favor with God, that we need to be saved by grace, can we do anything good from the right kind of motivation, a much more powerful motivation? Now, that quote I shared earlier from, again, the antagonist in Chariots of Fire, he's got 10 lonely seconds to justify his existence. This is the quote from Eric Liddell in the movie. He says this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This is verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of blood to be received by faith, He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul then starts to talk about boasting. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. I think boasting can be an indicator of which law you're living under. If you boast in your own deeds, then you're under the law, which can only make you more aware of how sinful you are. But if you boast in his grace, you are under the law of grace. I think boasting is common to each heart. Actually, there's an interesting story. We won't look at it now, but in... uh, Uh, You see Gideon taking an army of people to defeat this other opposing nation. And he's got so many soldiers that God intervenes and says, hold on, stop. You've got too many. And I'm worried that if you take this many into battle, you'll think that this victory was on you. Instead, he he worries that they're going to think, hey, we did it. You know, we didn't even need God. This is a a verse from Jeremiah 9, verse 23. This is talking about boasting. Verse 9, 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this. They that have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, Justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, we we end up boasting in something, trying to justify ourselves in some way. It might be money, or your strength, your beauty, your smarts. You think, this is why I'm worthy, this is my glory, my significance, my value. Where is your boasting? Do you boast? 
about being a good father, that you go to church, that you're a part of some cause, doing good in the world, maybe because of a people group that you're a part of. And God says, don't do it. I, uh, I've been involved with music lots in my life. Uh, as a kid, I started singing in church and playing the piano and I've played a variety of instruments. I've been playing guitar since I was about 15. And I kind of sat down uh, over the, you know, the pandemic lockdowns, and I had more time to kind of just relax and be at home, and I started to play guitar and record a bunch of things. Because I felt like I needed a record. I, you know, of, of all my involvements and all my pursuit of practice and those kind of things, I thought, yeah, I've never actually finished a single project. I mean, I get to worship with my church on Sunday mornings, but kind of, where's the evidence? You know, I started looking for, where is it can, that can show the work, the hard work that I've done? Where is it? So I thought, I've got to put out an album or an EP or something of my guitar playing or something like that. I, I felt this compulsion. And I think that was revealing something about you know, my boasting. Let's continue, verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. One faith, one people. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. And this is where I think those two quotes back to back really make this stand out. I'll invite the worship team actually to come back uh, now as I finish these final words. Again, this is Harold Abrams. Not a faith that we know of. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? That's under one kind of a law. And once you realize that all of your good works that you do don't count towards your salvation or your righteousness, instead you can be motivated instead of trying to earn your way to justify yourself, once you set all of that aside, you are free that every act of goodness that you have in you can be offered because of love. And that's a far more powerful motivation. Again, here's that quote from Eric Liddell. I believe God made me for a purpose. He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I hope that as you start to have this sink in, that it's not about your righteousness, that you'd be freed entirely from that self-righteous pursuit so that you could feel his pleasure to enjoy him for who he is and live a life that honors him by the power of the Holy Spirit because you love him, not because you have to prove yourself in any way. Look at your boasting. Is it in your goodness, or is it in his grace? Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. You can receive his perfect righteousness it's offered to you as a gift. All you have to do is receive it through faith. I'd welcome you to do that now. Would you stand with me? And if you'd like to, you can echo this prayer along with me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. 
I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And help me live a life that honors you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks. What an incredible gift. This incredible news comes to us and we can receive it by faith. So simple, freely offered to everyone. Father, I I pray that again this understanding would sink into our hearts so that we wouldn't try to live out of our own self-righteousness trying to justify ourselves one way or another. I pray that you would free each of us from the ways that we try to justify ourselves. Instead, help us to understand that because of what you have done, we are free to live a life in love towards you. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your good news. In your name we pray. Amen. To let it all go, I see now.